Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Today we will look at verses 8 through 16 in this book. As you're turning there, I'd just like to say thank you for all the prayers. We had our inaugural week of Camp Joy, which wrapped up on Friday, and uh, it was a great, great week. And so it's Camp Joy, Virginia. Um, If you are on Facebook and you follow the church's Facebook page, I posted a link to the pictures that were taken. There are hundreds and hundreds of pictures of the campers and the counselors. One or two of me, which I know are the most important ones you're looking for. Um, But no, there are hundreds of pictures of the campers and the counselors there having fun, being ministered to. And uh, we look forward to doing it again next week. I know when we first got there, the 4-H center, the staff there was a little skeptical of what was going on with, with a bunch of crazy ARP ministers and members ministering to these special needs uh, campers. But by the end of the week, we had the director from the Skelton Center there come to us and say, we have a permanent spot for you in our schedule every year. So... Um, Thanks be to God for the wonderful week we had there. And thank you once again for all the prayers that were given over Camp Joy over the last couple years and over this week. Let us look now to Paul's, this portion of Paul's letter to Philemon, beginning here in Philemon verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. We'll read verse 17 as well. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we consider the love that you have showered upon each of us through the work of the gospel, the providential work that you did in, in drawing us to the time where we met you, where we met your son, where we were freed from the oppression of sin. Help us to see how you work in our lives. Help us to love one another and help us to appreciate your gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In contemporary education, students are often taught how to write a persuasive essay. And the persuasive essay typically opens up with a, a snappy, catchy opening line. And then at the end of that opening paragraph, there's the thesis. There's the thing that the author wants to convince you of. To convince you of this particular truth. 
And then for the next three to five paragraphs, there are one proof per paragraph that are designed to build the author's argument, to strengthen the call to change your mind or to bolster your agreement to the particular truth that is presented there in the opening argument. And then, of course, there's a conclusion that wraps everything up. Well, Paul is doing the same thing, except he's doing it from a perspective of 2000 years ago when rhetorical essays and letters were written and structured just a little bit differently. Paul saves the thesis of his letter until verse 17, which is welcome Onesimus as a brother, as a partner, and as you would welcome me. But in today's passage, he lays out the reasons that Philemon should do that before he calls Philemon to actually do it. And today we will see three different reasons. The first, Paul's first appeal is an appeal to love. The second appeal is an appeal to the gospel. And the third appeal is an appeal to providence. First, the appeal to love. Paul held a special place in the history of the church. Paul was an apostle. We saw when we studied the book of Colossians that he opens it up. Paul, an apostle, according to the will of God through Jesus Christ. Apostle is a word that merely means sent one. But in the context of the early history of the church, in the context of the life of the disciples of Jesus and the life of Paul, there were certain men who were set apart for in a special office of apostle. They were Men that had had some type of direct interaction with Christ, whether like the twelve, they had spent the three years with them or like Paul had interacted with Christ in some form of seeing him as the resurrected Lord and Savior. They were men who had been set apart and given special authority in the church, authority, some of them to write what we now know as the New Testament or at least most of the New Testament. And as an apostle of God through Christ Jesus, Paul had certain authority to lay commands upon the church and upon the people of God. And Paul affirms that as he opens up today's passage, what we know is verse eight. He says, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Paul has full authority through his office in Christ to tell Philemon exactly what to do and to leave Philemon no option other than obey or sin. And yet he does not appeal to that. He sets aside his authority and he appeals to love. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so Paul appeals to his own love for Philemon and he appeals to Philemon's love for the church. Now, this is not just a general love that he uses. You know, we're all called to love God. We're all called to love neighbor. But Paul has already pointed out some specific love that Philemon has for the church. He says in verse four, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And what kind of love was that? It was a love in verse seven that we learned your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. 
Philemon's love was an active love that understood and looked at the people in the church that he served and met them where they hurt, met them where they ailed, met them where they suffered and struggled and brought refreshment or rest into their lives. It was a love that expressed itself in actions of kindness, of patience, of gentleness, of self-control, of faithfulness, of joy, and of peace. Philemon worked in the lives of the people whom he served and whom he ministered to, to apply the gospel to their life in such a way that it brought rest, it brought refreshment into the lives of those who struggle in a difficult world. And Paul is going to ask Philemon to extend that love not only to the church, but to someone in his own household who had offended, who had hurt, who had betrayed him. Onesimus, as a slave, would have been considered a member of the household of Philemon. As a slave, as a servant of Philemon and his family, he was under the authority, but also under the care of Philemon. Philemon was responsible to make sure that Onesimus had medical care, had food, had a, had a roof over his head, had everything he needed for life and for carrying out the work that he had. He was almost a son, not quite, but almost a son, at least in the responsibility that Philemon had to Onesimus. And Paul is appealing to the love that Philemon has for the church. And he's asking him to apply it in his own household. How we need that lesson as well many times. A lot of times it's far, far easier for me to love you than it is to love my family. Many times it is far, far easier for me to forgive you for teeny tiny offenses And then I go home and am nitpicky with my wife and my children, not treating them with love, but treating them with arrogance and selfishness. We are called to love the people in our household, whether they be parents or children or spouses or whomever. We are called to love the people in our household as much as we love the people in our church. And many times, brothers and sisters, you and I fail at that. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis takes the command to love your neighbor as yourself and he applies it to forgiveness. How quick are we to forgive our own sins, to overlook our own sins, and yet hold to account those people in our lives who sin against us. We hold them to account with an iron fist. We are called to love the people in our household as we love ourselves and as we love the people in our church. Paul appeals to Philemon to treat Onesimus with reconciliation and peace based on the love that he has for the church applied to his own household. Paul appeals to love. But Paul also appeals to the gospel. He says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Paul uses this word. He calls two other people his son throughout the letters that he writes in 1 Timothy 1, 2 
And also in 2 Timothy, he calls Timothy his son. In Titus 1.4, he calls Titus his son. Now, as far as we know, and more than likely, Paul was not the biological father of Timothy, of Titus, or of Onesimus. But he was son, he was their father. They were his sons in a spiritual sense. Paul was privileged to be used by God to bring the gospel to these three men, to see them converted under his ministry, to see them converted under his preaching, to see them converted under his care, to see them receive reconciliation and peace with God through the words that God gave to Paul to preach to them. And he says, Onesimus is my son. And later on in the book, he is going to say. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I and I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Through the gospel, Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers, both of them spiritual sons of the Apostle Paul who preached to them the gospel, who preached to them the reality of reconciliation with God through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul also appeals to the work of gospel of the gospel in Onesimus's changed life. Paul says when Onesimus left Philemon, when he betrayed him and walked out, he was useless to Philemon. Now we don't have Onesimus's work record or account of how many times he was written up for a bad attitude, but we do know that whatever Philemon had paid to have Onesimus as a servant, to house him, to provide for him, was a lost investment, a forfeited amount of money the moment Onesimus betrayed him and left regardless of what Onesimus might have stolen. We can surmise that he may have been a slacker while he was there based on the fact that he didn't respect Philemon enough to stay and to work for him, to honor the commitment he had made to be, a, to be Philemon's servant. Whatever the case, Onesimus was useless to Philemon, which is a bit of irony since Onesimus literally means useful. The useful one was useless. But through the work of the gospel in Onesimus's life, through the sanctification that was his, both immediate and being declared holy in God's sight and progressive as he is called to take off the old man and put on the new, that work of sanctification has made Onesimus useful to Paul. In fact, Paul says he's as useful as Philemon would be had Philemon been there with him. And he will be useful to Philemon when he returns, Paul is sending his very heart. He is sending someone who is very dear and very important to his ministry in Rome back because he will be useful in the household of Philemon as well. Onesimus, the useless slave, will be returned and reunited to Philemon as a useful and contributing member of the household of God. Each and every one of us, according to Martin Luther, Martin Luther said, all of us are Onesimuses. Each and every one of us in this room is useless to God apart from the gospel. We are rebels against God. We are sinners before God. We try to 
take the, the place that he has as sovereign Lord over our lives. And we prove that we are no good to God. Any good that we can do apart from Jesus, Isaiah tells us, is as filthy rags. In order to become useful to God, we must be changed by the power of the gospel. And if we are not changed by the power of the gospel to become useful for God, we will be discarded into the, ju- into the judgment like so much worthless junk. By the power of the cross, God takes us and moves us from useless to useful. By the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are taken from being unholy to holy. We are restored to the household of God, of God as adopted sons and daughters of God through the power of the gospel. God appeals to love. God or Paul appeals to love. Paul appeals to the gospel and Paul appeals to providence. In verse 15, Paul says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Perhaps. That first sentence there, it has that. Think about something real quick. It's, it's almost as if Paul is saying, saying to Philemon, stop thinking about yourself for a moment. Think about God. Think about God's sovereignty, God's providence over everything that happens. We've been studying in Sunday school the book of Revelation, and we are studying it really quickly. We're covering like four or five chapters a day. In 45 minutes, we're covering four or five chapters of the book of Revelation. But one thing that we should get, that each and every one of us should understand from the book of Revelation comes from chapter 4. Where the picture there, that vision that John had, is God's throne seated in the middle of all of creation. Whether it's the spiritual realm of His own throne room with the angelic beings worshiping Him around it. Whether it's the physical realm as portrayed there through the elders of the 24 elders and the other creatures as we move further and further from God's throne, all of creation, all of creation exists and moves according to the will and the glory of God. Nothing happens in the spiritual realm. Nothing happens in the physical realm outside of the providence and the sovereignty of God. It's what Paul is saying to Philemon here. Perhaps he was separated from you. Perhaps you were betrayed. Perhaps he ran away. Perhaps he stole from you. Perhaps he escaped all the way to Rome from Colossians simply so that he might become not merely your slave, but your brother. Perhaps all this horrible stuff happened to you. Perhaps you suffered all of this stuff so that Philemon could find recon- or Onesimus could find reconciliation and peace with God. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Each and every one of us could say yes to that. Have you ever had that person who betrayed you come back sometime later, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, maybe decades? And say, I know what I did. I know how I hurt you. But let me tell you what God did through all of that. 
Each and every one of us goes through betrayal at God's direction. And it may be to sanctify us. It may be to draw us closer to the gospel, but it may also be so that that other person can at some point be confronted with the reality of their sin and find peace and reconciliation with God. Perhaps he was separated from you, not so that you could have a slave back that you will punish for years for what he did for you. Perhaps he was separated from you so that he could find eternal glory, peace and rest with God. So that just as you are called chosen, holy and beloved, he might as well be called chosen, holy and beloved before God. As we deal with the pain of betrayal in our own life, we should take time to consider God. What are you doing? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in the lives of others? And how have you worked glory in me or in others through the difficulties that you have walked me through? Paul appeals to love. Paul appeals to the gospel. And Paul appeals to providence. Philemon knows what he ought to do. Paul affirms that there at the beginning. He said, although in Christ I could be bold in order to do order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. When it comes to walking with God, especially in conflict, each of us knows what we ought to do. And we should do it. Out of love. God has given us reconciliation. He calls us to reconcile to others, to forgive others To begin the process of reconciliation as much as it is within our power. Because we are called to love. Because we have been changed by the gospel. And because God walks us through these difficulties in his own providence. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, remind us of the love that you have showered upon us. And the love that we are to have for you and for our neighbor, for our household. Remind us of the power of the gospel that has moved us from useless to useful. And remind us that no difficulty that we go through is outside of your control. And you are truly working those things for your good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.